0: Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me.
0: (laughs) Welcome to Locked on Dolphins, Monday, March 23rd. We are officially within a month's striking distance from the 2019 NFL Draft, which at this point is looming like a big beacon of hope for some sports on the horizon amid everything else that's going on across the country. Welcome to Locked on Dolphins, where I hope for 20 to 30 minutes a day I can at least provide you guys with a little bit of football talk, a little bit of normalcy here in the offseason, and talk about everything that pertains to your Miami Dolphins. One of the first things that I want to do today is get into the landscape of the AFC East after one week of legal tampering slash free agency signings with the Dolphins having finalized and formalized and gotten signatures on their free agent additions. The team is looking at 10 new players plus Adrian Colbert returning as well. Uh, Quick run through the list. Adrian Colbert re-signed unrestricted free agent after he initially passed through a chance to get uh, placed with a, a tender as a restricted free agent Clayton Fejulum, Eric Flowers, Kamu Gruger-Hill, Jordan Howard, Byron Jones, Ted Kerr, Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, Elan and Roberts, and Kyle Noy. Big influx in talent, but just as importantly, if you look at where the Dolphins are now, where the Dolphins sit, and you compare and contrast it to the rest of the AFC East, you get some pretty interesting talking points. Most notably, Dolphins, who went 5-11 and last year, uh, currently projected at $40 million in cap space, which is third in the NFL. They can create another $9.5 million if they choose to cut Albert Wilson, which is a move I would champion for at this point. Uh, if they cut Albert Wilson alone, they would return to the number one team in the NFL in salary cap space. And mind you, that is with $20 million in dead cap, $13 million of which is Rashad Jones and Mika Fitzpatrick. All of those key additions, and the only real notable departures for the Miami Dolphins at this point, would be the coach, from a coaching staff perspective, where we lost wide receivers coach and newly minted assistant head coach, Carl Dorrell, offensive coordinator, Chad O'Shea, Defensive coordinator Patrick Graham. They elevated Coach Boyer to run the defense. Brian Flores still being here. I don't think defensively you'll see too much that's crazy different. Chan Gailey, the big change from Chad O'Shea to Chan Gailey. Compare and contrast that to the rest of the AFC East. Uh, The Dolphins with 14 draft selections have the most in the NFL in 2020. New England Patriots have 12. So, not great, right? Patriots are going to get a chance to restock. Well, not necessarily, because the Dolphins have six picks in the top 75. You know, They have three in the first round, two in the second round, and they have pick 70 in the third round. The New England Patriots, despite having just two total less picks, the Patriots have one pick in the top 75. Grossly Different dynamics to where these picks are aligned, and that is a huge difference maker as the Dolphins look to make the jump in 2020 with the Patriots losing Tom Brady, amongst other departures too. The Patriots, uh, by the way, $4.6 million in cap space right now, which is 29th in the NFL. And their quarterback room is Brian Hoyer, Cody Kessler, and Jared Stidham. That's the quarterback room. Mind you, they just shot, signed Brian Hoyer, and they have poor $4.6 million in cap. Fourth worst in the NFL, and only one pick of their 12 in the top 75. Also, having lost notable names like Ted Karras and Kyle Van Noy to Miami, and Jamie Collins left to Detroit, and Danny Shelton also left to Detroit. Buffalo Bills, 10 and 6 last year. $33 million in cap space, which is fifth in the NFL. Seven NFL draft selections. One in the top 75. One of their key departures, Shaq Lawson, went from Buffalo to Miami. Mind you, I do think Buffalo did a nice job bringing in Mario Addison as a potential replacement from Carolina. And they traded their first-round pick for Stephon Diggs. So while they only have one pick in the top 75, they did haul a very, very good wide receiver from the Minnesota Vikings in Stephon Diggs. The New York Jets. 7-9 last year, $42 million in cap space, which is second in the NFL, ahead of the Dolphins. Eight NFL draft selections this year, three in the top 75. But here's the interesting thing about the Jets. One of the Jets' primary players on offense, and their supported cast, is Robbie Anderson, the wide receiver, who's reported that it's been reported that he is looking for in excess of $10 million per season, With his next contract. Like more than half the league has $20 million or less in cap space. So you can cut the demand in half right away because I don't think any of those teams are going to give Robbie Anderson half of their remaining cap space. The Jets. Have not had any notable improvements to their offensive skill players. And their offensive line, quote-unquote, reinforcements, they said goodbye to Brandon Shell and Kelvin Beechin and Ryan Khalil. They brought in George Fant, Connor McGovern, and Greg Van Roten. This offensive line might not be any better than last year's, and they've brought in no-skilled players. $42 million in cap space, you might as well just throw that money at Robbie Anderson and bring back a guy that you had last year, in which case the Dolphins will have more cap space than that team, more top uh, 75 and top 100 draft selections than that team as well. Dolphins from a pure talent infusion are much better in what they've been able to bring in this offseason thus far than anybody else in the AFCs. Now, granted, they had the furthest to go. But with that in mind, it, assuming the Jets spend the $10 million to bring back Robbie Anderson, the Dolphins will still have the most cap space, In the AFC East, they will have more draft selections than any team in the AFC East, and they will have as many top 100 selections, or top 75 selections, which is where you're expecting to get starters in the NFL draft. The Dolphins will have as many more, mind you, more, than each of the other three teams combined in a deep NFL draft class. So when you look at the landscape of the AFC East, it becomes very apparent very quickly that this team is well positioned for future success, and that was the primary objective of the 2019 season. Strip it down to the studs, maximize your assets, create cap flexibility, move forward from there, adding talent. This team spent money. We've talked about how they front-loaded the contracts, and we've got some details on what some of those contracts look like. The Eric Flowers and Shaq Lawson deals are effectively two-year deals with a club option for the third year based on guaranteed money that the Dolphins can get out of very easily. The Byron Jones deal is effectively a three-year deal that the Dolphins can get out of between years three and four very easily based on the distribution of the guaranteed money. This is exciting times. Now, they've got to hit on their picks, of course. And we're going to talk about that, but not before this brief pause for sponsor identification. Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins, keep it right here. We'll be right back after this brief message.
1: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements?
0: Welcome back. Let's talk about some big uglies. A couple weeks ago on this show, we did ranking the top 10 edge defenders for the Miami Dolphins based on their own criteria for an offensive big or for a defensive big board perspective. We're going to continue that today looking at the offensive tackle position, which is Miami's other primary area of need on the offensive line. You know, they've done a nice job addressing the offensive interior to this point. I don't think they're done. They should not be done, but to their credit, they have done a nice job going out and getting Ted Karras and Eric Flowers. That in itself has me feeling a lot better about the long-term viability of the offensive line. Offensive tackle, we still have Jesse Davis and Julian Davenport slated to start. That's a no-go zone. (laughs) That can't happen. So, Offensive tackle should be high priority for this Miami Dolphins team, but who? That's the riddle we are here to answer and get down to the bottom of. So let's not waste any time. Let's start digging in to these offensive tackles. What kind of criteria we should expect the Dolphins to be looking at, and who's going to be highly coveted for the Dolphins? This conversation becomes very fascinating to me very quickly because we really don't know whether or not the Miami Dolphins are going to be having a left-handed or a right-handed quarterback. Miami being routinely tied to Tua makes this a difficult projection to decipher whether or not the Dolphins care about blindside protection versus just getting good offensive tackle play. I don't have an answer there to be honest with you, and it's it's kind of one of those things where I would rather look at the players, not assess them based on positional value, and instead assess them on the traits, regardless of left versus right, and just kind of let the chips fall where they may. With that in mind, Makai Becton from Louisville really strikes me as Miami's type in that This dude will beat the tar out of you. He will carry you out of the screen, get back in the huddle, line back up, and then run you out of the screen again the very next play. (laughs) He is one of the most heavy-handed, physically dominant offensive tackle prospects I can remember seeing in a really long time. And he does it in both the run game and in pass protection. Uh, I I think there's a certain level of nasty with each of the top four in this year's offensive tackle class, Becton, Wirfs, Wills, and Thomas, that is going to appeal to the Dolphins. The problem is Miami picking at 18, probably not going to be in their strike zone. Uh, I would be surprised if you saw any more than at the absolute best-case scenario one of these offensive tackles there. But Beckton strikes me as the one because of the Trent Brown archetype and and his style of play, and that's the comparison that he draws. And Trent Brown got into the NFL, and the light bulb came on, and he was a really physically dominant player. Well, Beckton had the light bulb come on a little bit earlier than Trent Brown, and he's more athletic than Trent Brown, which is a terrifying thought. Uh, So Becton, for me, put the gold star next to his name. I think he is a player based on his length, his... The divide for me and the next guy on my list for specifically Miami, which is Andrew Thomas, is I think Becton is a more dynamic athlete in functional scenarios, and I think he's better in pass protection in that he's so damn big. He has a gravitational pull around him where he doesn't even have to touch you. And so many times you're eliminated from the play. Andrew Thomas has great length and he's the number two for me because he has that same mauler mentality. You look at them bringing in Eric flowers to play left guard. And you look at them bringing in Jordan Howard, who is a gap slash power style downhill runner. Turn on Becton And turn on Thomas against Notre Dame. And watch what they did in those football games. And that, to me, screams the kind of brand of football the Dolphins are going to want to play in the run game. So Andrew Thomas would be my two. He's a little less dominant in pass protection as far as if you come at him from wide angles or if you're a really bursty guy off the edge, uh, you can force him to flip his hips a little earlier because he's uh, he's a little bit tighter than Becton. And then he's got to flip and chase and carry. Now he's got, with 35-inch arms, he has the length that he can really ride pass rushers out along the outside and make sure they don't take soft angles against him and get to the quarterback. But he flips in transition a little more frequently to run guys past the peak of the pocket than what I see with Becton. Next two... Down the list for me are both right tackles. It, just, it's coincin- it was coincidental that we had Beckton and Thomas as the top two, and I think it's their, their mauler style. Like, get you in close quarters, and it's game over. The other two are a little bit more athletic. They both play on the right side, which is ironic because the, the stereotype is typically your right tackles are a little bit more mauler types. Uh, Tristan Wirfs for me with his functional athleticism and testing. I know Jedrick Wills. I liked Wills' tape better, but there's some whispers that Wills may have some medical things that might drop him a little bit for some teams. So that was the tiebreaker for me that put Tristan Wirfs at OT3 for the Dolphins playing on the right side. Uh, Some people think he's a guard. I think he would be completely fine playing offensive tackle, right tackle at the NFL level. He's got the mobility, he's got the length, and he's another asset in the run game. He's a little bit more of a space blocker than the other two. Beckton and Thomas are a little bit more in tight. Wirfs is a guy that you can run out in screen game and quick game and tunnel screens. And if you want to run some outside rushing concepts, he can get outside. But he's also so dense that he he can do a really nice job in resetting the line of scrimmage playing forward. Wills, I think from a pass protection standpoint, is the cleanest offensive tackle in this draft. His lower half, his footwork, his flexibility in his base, they're all excellent. He's not quite the same mauler as the three guys in front of him, but if the Dolphins are going to want to run past heavy offense, then Wills makes a lot of sense, and especially if they go get Tua. He's going to have chemistry with his right tackle. He's going to have a feel for where Wills is going to steer guys to help keep his pocket clean. So there's an appeal there. If any of these four names is on the board at 18, you sprint the card up. No questions asked. Beckton is the only one that, like, if they hate their quarterback options, if by some bizarro scenario, you see Herbert, Tua, and Joe Burrow gone in the first four picks, which won't happen. Let's relax. This is just a hypothetical. But if it did, Becton is the only one that I would run the card up as if I'm the Dolphins at five. Any of them are there at 18? No questions asked. That should be the pick. Which brings us to OT5. This is kind of where you get into, you've, you've got two separate tiers, the big four and then everybody else, and it becomes a choose-your-own-adventure-slash-pick-your-favorite-flavor in each of the tiers. You could ask 10 different personnel people, they'd probably give you five different combinations of what the top four should look like. And then you get outside, and everybody's OT5, they're, they're going to have different things. For me personally, OT5 is Lucas Niang from TCU. That is not who I have as OT5 For the Dolphins, I have Josh Jones from Houston. Jones has a little bit more kick and power to him than what you realize he does when you first watch him because he's still so raw. And I don't think the Dolphins are going to be scared off by guys who are raw because of their player development perspective and point of view and how they want to coach players to become better football players and and coax the best out of them so Josh Jones for me sits at ot5 because he is super raw but he's got requisite length he's a great athlete and then you turn on like the Oklahoma game and you watch him in the scenarios where he doesn't have to play in space and it's just play forward and he'll roll hips through contact and he'll put flat back guys and he'll reset the line of scrimmage and he's really mobile so a good blend of athleticism and density and functional power that's not fully harnessed yet because his feet are all over the place you know he'll take false steps forward before getting back into pass sets and and his framing of blocks isn't totally consistent and his his strike timing and his ability to marry his hands to his feet to make sure he's got optimal power through his body it's all a bit of a work in progress so that's why Josh Jones for me, isn't ideally someone that would be an option at 18, but if you trade back or if he's there at 26, I can get on board with that pick. Because the upside and the ceiling is absolutely there, and the Dolphins coaching staff is one of those coaching staffs at this point. It's been a really long time since we've been able to say this because they've been so quick to just kind of gloss over player development and one-finished products. This is a coaching staff in Miami now where I would trust them to work with a bit more of a project player, and develop him from a football IQ and technique perspective. We're going to dig through the back half of this top 10 for Miami Dolphins offensive tackles for the 2020 NFL Draft, but not before this brief pause for sponsor identification. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. We'll be right back after this.
1: They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast,
0: part of the Locked
1: On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome back, Dolphins fans. We are coming around the mountain as we go, finishing up the offensive tackles top 10. So far, we have Makai Becton. Legit option at 5, but only if all of Miami's options at quarterback is gone, so not really an option at 5. Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, all options at 18 if they are there. Josh Jones, ideally an option at 26. Number 6 for me comes back to the same thought process that put Josh Jones at OT5. Austin Jackson from USC. Austin Jackson is... A big boy, he's six six, three ten. I'm really impressed with his functional athleticism, but his techniques kind of all over the board. Here's here's my summary from my scouting report on Austin Jackson is not necessarily through the Dolphins scope, but just watching Jackson and grading him as an offensive tackle prospect. Uh, Austin Jackson is a promising offensive tackle prospect who has all the physical tools to develop into a quality starter, but there's significant improvement needed in his fundamentals before he's ready to fill such a role. Jackson's footwork, hand placement, weight distribution, and framing of blocks are all currently inconsistent, and early reps in the NFL are likely to yield irregular and inconsistent results. Jackson is likely best in zone-heavy rushing offenses where his mobility can win spacing at the point of attack. With that said, he's a big body. I do think he can claim real estate if he needed to, to play forward. Uh, he does not have the medical red flags as my OT7, which is Lucas Nyang, who for me in a vacuum, if I'm not grading him through the Dolphin scope of things, is probably OT5. Uh, Nyang had a hip injury that ended his season prematurely in 2019, but I think his ceiling is really, really good. He's 6'7", 330. So he's a big dude, plays on the right side of the offensive line. Uh, my synopsis of him as a player, Lucas Nang is a high upside starter in the NFL. Nang's mobility would make him a great fit in his own style system, and his length and range as a pass blocker make him an attractive option for teams with deeper passing concepts. So thus far, not a lot of that that really fits what we anticipate the Dolphins are going to be under Gailey, which is a little bit more ram it straight ahead, build quick game passing off of that. There is some refinement needed in Nang's footwork, but he shows all the requisite physical skills to become a plus start in the pros. Should find the field early and improve through first few seasons. Uh, hope for him to be healthy in 2020. Not really sure what the hip situation is here. There are some whispers. I know uh, Scott Wright, who works for Draft Countdown, uh, a really good guy. and I know Scott fairly well. Uh, he's mentioned that there's some whispers of Nyang's medicals potentially causing a big drop for him. So he might be a player who the Dolphins could kind of roll the dice on with one of their later picks if he ends up being there. Uh, But Austin Jackson, Josh Jones is an option at 26. Austin Jackson, I would probably put the cap at 39. Lucas Nyang, for me personally, without seeing the medicals, if I knew he was there at 26, I would be willing to take him based on his on-the-field work at 26, but realistically for the Dolphins, knowing who Miami is going to gravitate towards, what Miami is going to gravitate towards, he's probably more of a uh, 39-56 option, and then you start to get to some really raw guys, but guys that have Really good physical traits. Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, who plays on the right side, he's 340 pounds. So, if you're questioning whether or not he can play forward, he most definitely can. His best quality is his ability to reset the line of scrimmage. The guy who played opposite of uh, Andrew Thomas the the past two years, he's a redshirt sophomore. But he's a little heavier-footed, uh, he's a little bit more lethargic, and he's much more raw. So, uh, another guy that has all the power you could possibly want. He's my OT8 for Miami. This is, we're talking 70 range. Matt Peart from Yukon, uh, another guy who is raw. He's not quite as big. He's about 310, but 6'7. So big, long body, good power in his frame. Another candidate at 70, a guy who I think you got to ease in playing at Yukon. Uh, He's nowhere near as polished. Uh, as some of these other guys that we've talked about. But I do think he can be a quality starter. Uh, Some teams may view him as a guard, um, but I think he can play outside, and he's got enough raw pop and explosiveness in his hands and and through his hips that I think he can be an effective gap power guy, uh, but a guy that's going to need a little bit more time. And then Prince Tagawanao from Auburn is my OT10 for the Dolphins, probably again at 70 is where I would peg him. Uh, He's very raw. He came over to the States and didn't play football until like his senior year of high school. He originally came over to be a basketball player. Uh, So he's been playing offensive tackle for like five or six years. He's a redshirt senior. So technically six years of playing offensive tackle. And I really like a lot of his raw traits. I think he's a, a mean, nasty dude. He gets his hands on you and he sustains his blocks well. Uh, another n- potential day two name for the Dolphins. He rounds out the top ten guys that just missed. Ezra Cleveland is uh, a little bit too much zone-oriented, I think, for Miami based off what I expect and what I saw on film. Sadiq Charles from LSU has some red flags. He missed some time with uh, some some disciplinary issues there. And Ben Barch, who is another developmental guy, or the last three left off the list. So quick recap here as we wrap up this Monday episode of Locked On Dolphins. Top 10 offensive tackles for the Miami Dolphins, specifically in the 2020 NFL Draft, because they can't come away without one. Makai Becton, Louisville, Andrew Thomas, Georgia, Tristan Wirfs, Iowa, Jedrick Wills, Alabama. Any of these guys are on the board at 18, that should be the pick. Josh Jones, Houston. Realistic option at 26. Austin Jackson, USC. I'd prefer not to use a 1 on him, but I would get it if they use 26 on him. More ideal option at 39. Lucas Yang, TCU. I wouldn't be afraid to use a first-round pick on this kid, but f- sounds like he's going to be available a little bit later. Sounds like there's some medical apprehension for uh, whether it's his hip recovery that cost him the end of his 2019 season or whatever else may be on the table for him. He's at OT 7. Isaiah Wilson from Georgia. OT8. This is an option at 70. Matt Peart. UConn. Option at 70. Prince Tegawanaho, Option at 70. From Auburn. We got 10. We got 6 picks in the top 70. And we got 10 candidates at offensive tackle. You just can't strike out. You get any one of these guys, you feel good about their long-term uh, viability Either a developmental player or a plug-and-play starter. Remember. Not everything's going to get accomplished in year one, so don't expect plug-and-play starters at all five positions across the offensive line. There may be some patience that's required here, and that's perfectly fine. As long as they continue to invest in the offensive line in general, don't just check boxes. Don't just address it. Invest in it. And with this group of 10 offensive tackles, it's a great way for the Dolphins to do that. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Locked On Dolphins. Bring it back tomorrow. We're going to be talking what you want to talk about, Power to the pod is back tomorrow. I know we did it on Friday last week, but that's because free agency got our schedule all screwed up. Power to the pod back tomorrow. Look for when me for dropping questions. I'm going to solicit questions on social. Uh, Again, if you do not use social media, specifically Twitter, which is where I'm most active, I hear you. I am looking into ways for you to get your questions in. Bear with me. If you want to leave me a five-star review and ask a question on a five-star review, that's fine with me. I don't care. By all means. See you guys tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Locked On Dolphins.
1: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft.